a series that I've entitled The Overcoming Life, and it's actually the first of uh, three series that we'll string together. We're starting with The Overcoming Life, and then in July, we're going to move into The Overcoming Home, and then at the, the end of the summer and into the fall, we'll be talking about The Overcoming Church. So Overcoming Life, Overcoming Home, Overcoming Church. And this is all a part of the series that we've been in since the beginning of this year, uh, this journey of transformation. In Romans chapter 8, God says that he, he is committed to us being conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that he is more committed to that process sometimes than we are. Well, all the time, right? We get off track sometimes and, and he's going, no, this is my desire for you, that you would be conformed to the image of my son, and so we've talked about uh, the kingdom of God and what that looks like. We've talked about tools for the journey and, and the different ways that God equips us to walk that out. Well, I'm going to move into this series now on overcoming. That God has called us not to just survive in this life. He's called us and he's designed for us to thrive. He's called for us to overcome, not to just get by. In 1 John chapter 1, First John chapter 5, rather, it says this, starting in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God, listen to this, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That when we put our faith and trust in God, he's saying to us, the writer, John here is saying to us, that you will overcome the world. That there's nothing in this life, church, listen, there's nothing that can stand in your way that you can't overcome because of what Jesus has done for you. And so we're called to live lives that overcome. We're supposed to live in homes that overcome. We're supposed to be a part of a church that overcomes. And so we want to talk about that. I want to unpack that along in this series then of the frame being, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And so understanding that right off the bat. So this morning, the first part of this series on the overcoming life, I want to talk about identity. Your identity, who you are as a believer. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a movie buff. I love watching movies. It's one of my favorite ways to relax, kick back. Any, any movie nuts? Anyone love a good movie? I, I especially like action movies. And so I have to, I have to time the, like, the releases of those so I can go with my boys because Megan's not a huge action movie nut. Um, but but I, like, I like action movies. And one of my favorite series is, is one called The Bourne Identity or The Bourne Series, right? Jason Bourne, a few of you are like, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, the, the whole, if you're not familiar with it, the first one starts out with this guy, Jason Bourne. He's, he's found in the ocean, floating in the ocean, and a f- passing by fishing boat pulls him out um, nurses him back to health. The problem is, is he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who he is. And, uh, and, and so the movies start unpacking his journey of him discovering who he is. But along the way, he discovers, though he doesn't know his name and he doesn't know where he's from and he doesn't know who his family is or, or, or anything, he starts discovering that he has these incredible abilities 
that he's been trained to, to, to uh, fight. He's been trained with languages. He speaks all of these different languages, and these things just start coming out of him, and he's trying to understand, what is this that I am? And it's a, it's a great series of movies. It's a great series of books as he goes through this process. Well, just, just as the same way as Jason Bourne has these things that are in him, as believers, there are things that are in us by the hand of God, things that he's planted in us, that we start discovering about who we are that we might not realize are there. And some of those things we have to kind of dig deep. We have to uncover them. We have to push away preconceived ideas and ways that we've been trained growing up to start seeing those parts of who we are that we didn't realize were there. But they're there because God has put them in us. He's, he's, He's put those things in us. Let me ask you a question. But I would ask you this question, who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that? I think in this room, we would have as many different answers as we have people. That, that, that question, who are you, can be answered in so many different ways. Some of those answers could be, well, I'm a father, or I'm a mother, I'm a husband or a wife, I'm a child. It could lean to nationality. I'm, I'm South African, I'm Kenyan, right? My African brother. I'm Kenyan, I'm South African, I'm Mexican, I'm this. It could go to the nationality, it could be race, profession, I'm this, I'm that. Education, I'm a student, I'm a doctor, right? All of these ways that we could answer so many different possible different answers. And we're shaped... Our identity is shaped by these, both these external and these internal influences. Who are you can be shaped by your environment, these external things, your environment that you grow up in, the family that you have, your peers, the people that are around you, and your culture can all shape your identity. Internal things like your fears and your joys, the sorrows, the things, your experiences, your memories can shape your identity. See, the, that question, though, for us is so critical. Who are you? Knowing how to answer that confidently, not based in what I do and what I have, but simply who are you at a very core base level. Augustine wrote this in his book, Confessions, in AD 400. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And he prayed this prayer, grant, Lord, that I may know, my, may know myself, that I may, may know thee. I'll try that again. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. See, knowing who you are is critical. Knowing who you are will affect every part of your life. Your identity as a believer will affect every decision that you make, every choice that you make, everywhere you go, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action, everything will be determined by who you believe you are. And so you have to know yourself. You have to have this identity. And listen, this is not some uh, uh, religious version of self-help, just becoming self-aware, right? Staring at your navel, contemplating life. This is not what I'm talking about. This identity that we have in Christ is firm, it is solid, it's our foundation. The problem is, is we forget who we are. 
We forget who we are. And so having, living an overcoming life at the very outset, we're setting it at a disadvantage because we forget who we are and then we struggle. I love this picture of this guy climbing this rock wall. It doesn't look easy. I know I couldn't do it. Um, and I'm impressed by people who do stuff like that. I also noticed that there's no, like, ropes holding. He's just kind of hanging. Anyone, any rock climbers in the house? No? No. Like, at Knott's Berry Farm, right, when they, like, yeah, that's about the extent of it. Camp, we have a rock climbing wall at camp, but it's not free form like this, so parents don't worry about it. This guy is overcoming. There's an obstacle in his way, and he's working to overcome it, to climb up over this obstacle. But he has to remember the way that he's trained and the the things that he's done to prepare to overcome this. If he forgets to hold on, what's going to happen? It's not a good way to end, right? He's going to fall off of that wall. We have to know who we are in Christ in order to overcome. Do we have obstacles in our lives? Absolutely. Are there things that are going to stand in our way? Absolutely. But when we know who we are in Christ, as, as John says here, we can overcome the world. When we walk in obedience to his command and who he's called us to be and what he's put into us, those things that need to come out, that need to be discovered, that need to be unearthed, as Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts. Why? Because our propensity is to forget that they're there, to forget who we are and what God's called us to be. Your identity, knowing who you are, will affect every part of your life. So I want to do this. I want to talk about, I'm just going to jump right in. I have a bunch of verses that we're going to cover today because the Bible has a lot to say about this. I want to remind us this morning, right out of the gate, what the Bible says about who we are, right? Great reminder. You can listen to me, that's fine, but I'd rather hear you hear it from the Word of God. I want, to, I want to give us some reminders of who we are from the Word of God, and then I'm going to address some problems, some issues that we face in our culture. We're going to talk about the children of Israel and their journey with the Lord uh, and discovering their identity, and then we're going to talk about some, some things, some places where the enemy comes against us in this area of identity. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are a new creation, that you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That in Christ, that our spirit comes alive. That part of us that was not alive before comes to life, and God says, you're not the old man. You're not what you used to be. You are something brand new. Can I get an amen? That you are new. I preached a little while back about, uh, about Lazarus. In fact, on Easter Sunday, Lazarus coming out of the grave. He was dead, and he was wrapped up in those clothes. In the grave clothes, and he comes out, he was dead, and now he's alive. He's something new. And then Jesus says, take the grave clothes off of him. Stop living like a dead man, because you are new. I've done something new in your life. We are alive in Christ. We are free. John eight thirty six. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If Jesus has set you free, you are free. Right? This is not up for negotiation. 
God says that's the way that it is. You are free. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, every one of you. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. Who, who are you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a heavenly father, by an eternal creator who doesn't make mistakes. You're sons and daughters of God. 1 John, verse three, uh, 1 John 3 verse 1. See what a great love the father has lavished on us. I love that word. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are emphatic right that is what we are he's lavished this lavished this love on us that we should be called sons and daughters that is what you are say i am a son i am a daughter of god if you're a man don't say you're a daughter of god all right if there's a confusion you are a son you are a daughter of god you are a joint heir with jesus i love this romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8, and by the way, if you want to get a full treat, treatment of this idea of, of, of identity, read Romans 8. It is like the go-to chapter when it comes to this. Romans chapter 8 is amazing. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testi- testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we, we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You are a co-heir. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ himself. Guys, that's pretty awesome that you are entitled to the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. That should blow our minds every day that we wake up. I wake up. I am a joint heir with Jesus. Oh my goodness. Right? That will change your perspective in a second. You are chosen, you are priest, and you are God's special possession. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Say, I am God's special possession. That's, that's who God says you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the, that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen to this. For we are God's handiwork 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork, poema. You are his creation. You are his masterpiece. That he's done all of this for you. That Jesus came, that he gave his life, so that by, by faith, by the grace of God, that you could walk into salvation from darkness into light. Why? Because you are his masterpiece. And he loves you. That's pretty awesome. I could keep going. We could fill this whole service just reading passages about who God says you are. But here's the thing. There's a problem. See, because I read these passages and I go, yes, 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 that's who I am. But I don't always feel it. And I don't always recognize it. And here's the problem. I don't always live like it. When I read these things, in fact, sometimes it has the opposite effect. I read these things about who God says I am, and I feel guilty because my life doesn't line up with it. I feel like I've missed the mark somehow. And rather than feeling the freedom and the joy of being a son or a daughter of God, I feel condemnation. And here's the truth that doesn't come from God. That feeling... That doesn't come from the Lord. There's nothing in any of these scriptures that that indicates that God would treat you that way. So this is a problem. It's a problem for all of us. How do we then walk this Christian walk? How do we get conformed to the image of God while we're wrestling with this identity? Because I don't always see myself. Am I alone or is anyone else there? Right? Right? You feel that way? Like, God, I I read these passages, but I don't see myself in that. That's a problem in my life. I imagine it's a problem in your life. Why? Why is this a problem? It's this one thing. We have a fear problem. The fear problem. Every one of us. As we walk this journey with God, we don't understand fear. We walk in fear. And it's this fear that undoes us. It's amazing. Fear is really a two-edged sword that God talks about walking in the fear of the Lord, which is a positive thing that keeps us where we're supposed to be. The, 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 the opposite side of it, though, is that we'll walk in the fear of man and the fear of the world, which undoes us, that, that convinces us that these, these truths are not true in our lives, at least not yet. Maybe other people have achieved that. Maybe other people are there, but I'm not there yet. I've got to do something else, right? We just read this. Not from yourselves, that you've been saved by faith. And it's not because of anything you have done. So stop thinking. You've got to do better. You've just got to be a better person to earn God's love or, or, or salvation or, or to be a son or a daughter. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. See, the, the children of Israel dealt with the same issue. We've been reading in the, the Solid Life uh, reading this month about Israel moving from Egypt into the promised land. And God had to do this work. In the end of Deuteronomy, he starts giving these laws and these rules for them, which, which some people read and go, oh, there, there it is. There's that God. He's just trying to control the way you live. But the reality is they had no identity that the Egyptians had robbed them of who they were. 
They, they knew that they were related. They knew that they were a people, and there was some, some historical perspective for them. But when it came to having an identity as a people, they were lost. And so when God moves them out of Egypt into the, into the desert and before they go into the promised land, he has to start reminding them of who they are. He has to tell them who they are and the plans that he has for their lives because they don't know. They just don't know. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, he says this to them, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. That you are the head, you're not the tail. Stop thinking of yourselves as being less than. Stop thinking about yourselves as slaves. You're not slaves. You're not slaves to Egypt. You're not slaves to sin. Amen? You are the head, you're not the tail. But then he says this, If, if, conditional, if you pay attention to the commands, of the Lord your God, that I gave you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. So what's the condition? God may or may not do this for you? No, not at all. God's saying, I'm extending this blessing to you. It's always there for you to have. It's always there for you to lay a hold of. The if, the condition is us. The condition is really where we fall in our fear of God. We know the story of the Israelites that they go from this place. Moses has come and he's given them the Ten Commandments. He's given them the law. He spelled it out. And God very clearly says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. And I will prosper you. And there is nothing that will stand in your way. But if you choose to ignore the things that I've called you to, it will be curses and destruction. Not because that's the heart of God, but because you choose not to walk in the fear of the Lord. And if you do your own thing, if you live your life the way you want to live your life, God's not going to look at that and go, yes, way to go, that's wonderful. He can't. It's not in his nature and his character. He can't. And so he gives us every opportunity. He gives them every opportunity as well to say, listen, here's the way, walk in it. And I'm going to make it as plain for you as I possibly can. They don't even make it to Moses coming down from the mountain. They don't even make it that far and they're building a calf. And here's what I discovered this week in my study is that they didn't give the calf a different name to their God. They actually named the calf after their God, which is even more of an abomination. It wasn't even Baal or something else. They called it Jehovah. They called it God. Why? Because they didn't have a fear of the Lord that kept them in check. And so they just did whatever they wanted because it kind of felt right. Why? Because their identity was lacking. They didn't know who they were. But this promise, both for the Israelites and for us, you are the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. If, if. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have a fear problem. See, our fear is, is misplaced. See, we walk in the fear of the world. We walk in the fear of people. We walk in the fear of not having enough or not amounting to anything, 
right? What's my life worth? Who am I? When we ask that question, who are you? You know how we answer that? We answer that through the, the, the lens of the world. What we've ac- accumulated and what we've accomplished, right? What we have, who we think we are, or at the very, at the very least, who we think people want us to be. How many of us are living lives that aren't our lives? They're the lives that someone else wants us to live. Ouch. That, that for, for many people, they're walking out a life, living out a life that's not even their desire. It's not in their heart to do. But maybe at a young age, someone said, no, you need to do this. This is the life. If you're going to be successful, here's what you need to do. And they're walking in a direction that's totally apart from God's call in their lives. And every day is painful. Why? Because I'm not, suppo- I'm not where I am supposed to be. I'm living someone else's life. And I feel that tension on the inside. We have a fear problem. That the fear of the Lord is at odds with our fear of man and our fear of failure and our fear of not having enough. And these things come into contention. See, just like the Israelites, we've been brought from death to life. 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21. We regard no one from an earthly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ, I read this already, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Right? That we were dead, but now we're alive. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to, uh, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation, Church, his desire isn't that we just walk from death into life, but that we tell other people and bring them along with us. Check check this out. There's no other reason for us to still be here. If that work was done, we would be in heaven. You would be saved and you would be gone. But that we are still here so that we can share this message of reconciliation to see other people move from death to life. I imagine that in this room, that each each one of us could think of at least one person and probably more that we know who have not yet moved from death to life. We've got work to do. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. You've moved from death. You've moved from being an enemy of God to being the righteousness of God. Think about that for a second. In those days where I wake up feeling like nothing, I feel like a failure, on those days where I feel like I've messed up and there's no coming back, the way that God sees me says you are the righteousness of God. That's how he sees me, that's how he sees you. That you are the righteousness of God because of who Jesus is. That's his lens, that's his perspective. But listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. This is our if. This is our if. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The work of Christ can't be undone. And the condemnation that the enemy would bring, God doesn't bring that against us, right? Because the work that Jesus did is complete. 
Because through Christ, the, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who, gave us, uh, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son, his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he con- condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's our if. See, when I come to Christ, my identity identity has to be found in Him. If it's not, I'm living according to the flesh. When I walk in the fear of the world, I'm living in the flesh. But he's saying here, Paul's saying, Jesus put that sinful nature to death. That's not who you are anymore. So don't live according to the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. In the same way that God said to the Israelites, if you do these things, if you obey my commands, if you walk in the ways that I've set forth for you, you will always be on top, not below. The if for us is this. If we choose to live according to the Spirit, there's victory. But if we choose, even as, as people who have been saved, as sons and daughters of God, even if, if we choose to live according to the flesh, we will walk in defeat. That we won't see the victory that God has for us. The prodigal son, Jesus talks about this young man who leaves his father, leaves the household, leaves everything that that his father has provided because he feels like, no, there's something better out there and discovers, no, there's not. There's not, not, not something better out there. And he comes back to the father. Does the father at that point say, you know what, you had your chance, you blew it, you're done? No, why? Because there's no condemnation in, 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 for those who are in Christ. And he welcomes him with wide open arms. But he doesn't stop him from chasing after the things of the flesh. He says, you need, to, you need to choose to be here. You need to want to be here. Why? You need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, 12 through 13. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, his good purpose in you. But here's the thing, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a problematic verse for a lot of people because they're like, well, I thought I was saved, right, because of the grace of God and when I put my faith in Jesus. So how do I work out my salvation? This isn't about your positionally being saved. This isn't about are you going to heaven or not. This is the idea that Jesus has saved you. You are now a new creation. Now start living that way. That's the working out. It's disciplining our bodies, disciplining our lives to actually start looking like Jesus, being conformed to his image. It doesn't happen automatically. There's work that has to happen on our part, right? Right? And it's not easy. It's not just an easy road. There's, there's a process. I love that he says here, work out your salvation with what? With fear. With fear. And this is not the cowering fear. I'm afraid of God. He's going to smite me if I do something wrong. Looking out for, for lightning bolts, right? This is not the kind of fear. This is a kind of fear that is aware of the presence of God every day, every hour. See, knowing who I am Deriving my identity from who God is changes 
everything. I have to know who I am in light of who he is and who he says I am. And see, I try to come up with good ideas. I don't have any. I have to go to the word of God and say, God, who do you say I am? Right? I can only love because you first loved me. I can only respond to the goodness and the mercy and the kindness that you showed me. And when I know who I am in light of who you are, it changes everything. It changes the way I think about my life. It changes the way I think about my relationships. It changes the way I think about my purpose. It changes everything. Confusion comes when we try to have both at the same time. When I try and manage who God says I am and who the world says I am, who I think I need to be in the eyes of the world. If I don't walk in confidence in who God says I am, then I won't walk in confidence in in that confidence in the world. And the world, the things of this world, the desires of this world, the, the things that entrap in this world will get us and they will shape us and they will keep rubbing against us and pushing against that identity. We forget, sometimes we ignore who we really are. Sometimes it's just, I don't even realize that I'm, I'm, I'm walking that way and I need the Holy Spirit to correct me. And sometimes I choose to ignore who I am in Christ. Why? Because I want to go after the things of the flesh. And the sinful nature that's still having to get worked out of me. Right? It rears its ugly head. And I have to say, no, that's not who I am. It's not who I am. James says it this way. James chapter 1, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word, to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks in the mirror, uh, someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And James is not giving us hygiene tips, right? This, this is not about personal grooming. What he's saying is this, when you come to the word of God and you understand who you are in the light of, in the, light of, word of the word of God and you walk away and you forget who you are, that's a problem, Because you won't live according to the word. But the person who comes to the word, reads the word, and then does what it says, they will be blessed. Why? Because they never forget who they are. They never forget their identity. It's all about fear. The fear of the Lord. We got to attend a family wedding recently. And uh, it was the night before the wedding, and, and we were having a barbecue and I love cooking, so I'm in the kitchen, and I'm chopping stuff and having a good time. And, uh, and, and the, the relative that was getting married, one of their friends, was, was in the kitchen talking to me. And this lady was, I mean, she was just, every other word was a cuss word. And she was just, you know, living her life. Um, and at the inevitable point in the conversation, she goes, so what do you do? And, uh, you know, and, and my, my brother-in-law is a chef, and so she's like, are you, are you the one who cooks? And I'm like, oh, no, that's, that's not me. I said, I'm actually, I'm a pastor. And, of course, the look on her face, 
and the blood just drained. And all of a sudden, the cussing stopped. And then she was telling me about how, you know, her and her husband had found this church, and they loved going to this church. And, <laughs> and then she was apologizing, because I could see her brain. She was just playing back the tape of our conversation in her head. And it wasn't good for her. I, she was not enjoying it at all. And I was like, don't, you know what, don't, it's okay. I'm not standing in judgment. I'm not standing here going, oh, this sin. No, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, well, not okay, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to, to convict you. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. I um, also didn't say that out loud, but it went through my head. Because <laughs> he was doing a pretty good job. I could tell all over her face. But it was interesting to me that she switched from talking about her very carnal life to, oh, my husband and I found this church and we really liked it. That's a problem. This is someone who forgets what they look like. It's someone who forgets what their identity is. And so it's easy to go to church and go, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the pastor told me so. Because it's more than likely they're not in the word themselves. And I love being with these other Christians, and they encourage me, and they're really helpful. She'd tell me how her husband had gone through a really dark time and, and, and how the church had really helped, and I was like, that's great. That's great. But you see, what they were lacking was the fear of the Lord. And so the mirror for her was me. I was the mirror. When she came face to face with someone who's a believer, not that I'm perfect, but, you know, I, I'm a pastor, all of a sudden, that mirror popped up and she was examining herself, her own conversation, her own words, the things that she was saying in light of my relationship with the Lord. And it wasn't a fun place for her to be. And all of the, the color draining from her and her backpedaling was not because of me. It's because all of a sudden the fear of the Lord came into that moment and overwhelmed her because she realized how far away she was from who she's supposed to be. James talking about this man in the mirror who, who looks at himself and then walks away and forgets is the person, it's the believer who comes to church and says, I love being here, I love going to, I love being with these people at life group and doing church events, but during the week lives their life like there is no God or, at the, or that they just don't care. It's the person who lacks a consistency in their life if we were to show up at your workplace or at your school or in your home and go, oh, wow, you're a bit of a different person here than you are there. We have a fear problem. See, because when I'm around other believers and it's easy to go, oh, well, you know, that, that person, they, they love Jesus and oh, I better be on my best behavior, forgetting that the Holy Spirit is with us everywhere we go, that Jesus is with you in the room. Always. And so now I have a fear of man, right? If I, I'm like, hey, I know I'm going to see Matthew, and I'm Matthew, and he's in the Word, and like, I know he's reading because then he's blogging about, and like, it's awesome. Good to check out his blog. Um, I know, so I better be on good, because this is, right? I'm walking in the fear of Matthew, not in the fear of the Lord. And God's not okay with that. If I'm being convicted because of another believer, but I forget about the Lord and I'm not walking in obedience to him, church, that's a problem. 
Because I have to remember that God is with me everywhere I go because he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, even when you do it to me, even when you reject me. He says, you can't go anywhere where I'm not there. And so we have a fear problem. We don't walk in the fear of the Lord, which means if I don't have fear, I don't have wisdom. That's what Proverbs said, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if I don't fear God, I'm going to be a fool. I'm going to live like a fool. Is that fair to say? I'm probably touching on some nerves. I, I, in prayer before service, I was like, ah, I know this is going to touch nerves because it touched nerves in my life this week. Uh, I don't like preparing for sermons like this because God's just like, yeah, and what about you? And what about you? I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, spend more time on my knees. Why? Because we need to be aware of the presence of God. Why? Because we need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because he has good things for us. And when I stand in that identity, when I look in the mirror of God's word, say, God, who is it that you say that I am? Oh, I'm a son. You call me blessed. That I'm a co-heir, a joint heir. That I'm a head, not the tail. That I'm above, not under. God, that's who you say I am. And then I walk into the world and the things of the world pop up in my way and come against me. I can say, no, 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 no. You get back because I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I'm not subject to the laws of this world. Now, don't go, don't go speed because your pastor said you're not subject. You know what I mean. I'm not subject to the ways and the thinking of this world because I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's who I am, and I have to embrace that. But here's the audacity of the enemy. He's audacious. He's brazen. See, because... He will tempt us towards a false identity. He will, he will do everything he can to convince you you're not who God says you are. Amen? Every day of your life, he will not relent. He will go after you and go after you and go after you and go after you. How do I know? Well, because he went after Jesus. When Jesus goes into the desert in Luke chapter 4, Here's, here's the scenario. Jesus is baptized in the river. He comes up out of the water. The Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus had done any ministry. He hadn't done anything at this point, just except to live his life. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The very next thing is that, that he's led into the desert where he goes and he fasts and there he's tempted. Verse, in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where, wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, Listen to this. If you are the son of God, what did God just say? This is my beloved son. If you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority, their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. 
If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this, this tempting, he left until an opportune time. What does that mean? He's coming back for more. He wasn't done. If you are the Son of God, three temptations. I am, what I, I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what others think I am. These are the things that Satan comes at Jesus with. And I tell you what, if he's coming at Jesus with them, he's going to come at you. I am what I do. It's performance. You know what? Turn that stone to bread. Come on, you can do it because you've really not done anything of significance. Prove yourself. You've got it in you to do it. Come on. You can be anything you want to be. Right? That's the mantra of the world. You, if you just set your mind to it, you can be anything you, you want to be. What does God say? Be the person I've called you to be. Not, not what your best idea. I tell you what, if it was up to me, I wouldn't be here today. I would be doing something completely different. But I'm so thankful that at a certain point in my life, I stopped and said, God, what do you want for my life? And he chose something I would never have picked for myself. And I'm thankful he did. See, but performance, I walk in the fear of looking like a failure. And Satan constantly in your ear going, if you were a son or daughter of God, you'd be really successful. Things would be further along right now than they are. You, you messed up. That is not the voice of the Lord. That is not the voice of the Lord. You are not what you do. That is not who you are. And we ans- ask that question, right? Hey, I, you know, I'm so-and-so, so what do you do? We lead with that. Why? Because it's in our culture. Because the enemy has seeded that into us. Your value, your identity is derived from what you do, your performance. Temptation two, I am what I have. I will give you all of this, everything. I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And Satan says to us, you know what? I'll give you more. I'll give you more money. I'll give you more success. I'll give you more stuff. You'll have a better job. You'll get a pay raise, right? You just have to compromise. You just have to compromise a bit. Well, I know you won't be able to go to church, and I know you won't be able to go to to life group, and I know you won't be able to serve on any of the ministries, but you know, at the end of the day, you know what? It'll be better because you're going to have more money. I'm probably jumping on some nerves right now. And God says, that's not what I've called you to. Now, if he calls you to a different job, if he calls you to working, that's fine. But for the most part, we walk in fear of not having enough. Am I right? We live in the richest nation on the face of the, world, the planet. And I tell you what, I meet more people in this country who are concerned about not having enough than I ever did in Haiti or Kenya or in El Salvador or any of the other places I've visited. That people are way more content. Why? Because we've believed the lie that I am what I have. And then, they, and then we get it and we realize it's empty and it's vain. Why? Because God's not there. It's not what he's called us to. 
fear of not having enough. And the third temptation, I am what others think. Popularity. That I need to be popular. You know, if you cast yourself down, you know those angels. You've got to prove to those angels that they, you believe that they, can, they, that they can save you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Don't put him to the test. Don't put him to the test. I am what other people think I am, and I'll do anything that they want me to do. Not what I want to do, and not what God wants me to do, but what they want me to do for their approval. Why? Because I have a fear of rejection. I have a fear of being rejected by my peers and by my family and by the people around me. And rather walking in the confidence of who I am as a new creation in Christ, walking in accordance to the calling he has on my life, I'm looking around at other people. Can I just tell you right now, I'll let you in on a little secret. I believe pastors struggle with this probably more than most people. Like in a week and a half, we go to convention, and I, I know I'm going to see buddies of mine who are going to go, so, how's your church doing? Oh, I hate that. Now, I know that our church is blessed and God is doing exactly what he wants to be doing in this place. And I know there are great days ahead. I know that God's saying this church is the head, not the tail. Amen. But we, even as pastors, will walk in this insecurity that I somehow have to compare myself to what my friend is doing. Well, he's a better preacher than I am. Well, he's got better hair than... Well, no, that's not a good one. Um... (laughs) Their congregation is reaching more people. Their youth group is bigger. Well, they're more effective and they have this many. Their website is cooler. And the enemy just starts hammering you and hammering you. And finally you're like, I can't stand. And God's like, good, because that's not what I called you to do. Would you just walk in obedience in your life? Driving down your street, pulling into your driveway, going to your workplace, going to the school that your kids go to. Are you looking around going, well, what does everyone else do? And oh, man. I guess I'm not as good. No, no, no. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am the head, not the tail. I need to walk in the fear of the Lord so that every minute of every day I remember who I am and I bring my life back to that place and say, God, you have, you have your way in my life. Don't let me go astray. See, this is a key to an overcoming life. It's not just about performance, not doing better, reading your Bible more, going to church more, being a part of a life group, serving in Those are all good things. But if at the core, your identity is lacking, if your identity is missing, all of that stuff will actually heap condemnation. You won't serve out a place of joy. So who are you? Who are you this morning? When I read those passages... Did that bring joy to your heart or did you feel like, oh, man, I don't like that verse because I don't feel that way. If that's the way you felt, it's okay. You're in, a, you're in a good place to deal with that today. You're in the best place to deal with that today because there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation from God. There better not be any condemnation from anyone in this room. See, because... Right, Jesus says to the woman when they're about to stone her, where are your accusers? Why? Because he let he who is with, without sin cast the first stone. We are all going to struggle. And God knows that. So let's stop running from it and saying, God, you know what? I'm going to walk in the fear of who you are. 
because it's the beginning of wisdom and I want a life full of wisdom. I want a life where my identity is wrapped up in you so that every decision I make and every word that I speak is life and life to the fullest. Amen? Let's stand together this morning.